morning we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark, a series that we've entitled, um, Who is This Jesus? We've actually been finding some answers to that question, and then a, a theme is starting to emerge from it about Christ really loving without limits. And so the video you just saw just showed people's response to how they believe God's having and desiring for them to love without limits. And so this morning we're going to continue in that. And before we do that, and in light of that, I have a couple questions to ask you that fit really with our text. And here they are, three questions, really. The first one is this. If you could invite anyone besides a family member, anyone that you know or have known of or have come to learn about to hang out with you every day for a couple years, who would it be? Maybe it's a person of great interest from your past or an idol that you had growing up, some famous person or a former uh, great influential person. Who is your person? If you could pick anyone to hang out with you every day for a few years, who would you pick? Do you have it? Besides a family member. I know growing up for me, I really looked up to, you know, athletes and there's people that I thought whatever they did, I thought was cool. I'd love to be around them. I think for me, when I think about my answer, I think there's actually people in this place today that I'd pick. What about you? Do you have your person in mind? And let's switch a little bit. Who would be the last person you'd ever want to invite to hang out with you every day for several years? Was that an easier one? Someone that caused you great harm. Someone, when you look at them, you say to yourself, I hate so much about the things you choose to be. Do you have that person? Hmm. One more question. Do you think uh, you're the kind of person that people would invite unto themselves to hang out with every day for a couple years? See, these questions matter because they're really found in our text. In fact, we see Jesus so far in the book of Mark inviting people to follow him and people are now catching an idea of his great power and love and compassion and truth-telling like they've never heard before. And he's inviting people to come after him, to, to follow him. We've been finding answers to the question, who is this Jesus? And we're seeing that he's got this like um, unlimited love expressed in his teaching, power, forgiveness. And so today we'll see that his limitless love really uh, shows is showcased in how he pursues, invites, and receives people. In fact, he doesn't only just like invite people to hang out with him every day for several years. There's actually, he goes beyond that where he's going to entrust them with the things that he finds most precious. Now think back to the first question for you. If you could invite anybody to hang out with you for a few days or for a few, uh, for a few years, who would it be? And would you entrust them with what's most precious to you? And that's what we see with Jesus in his style. And that's what we're going to investigate today. Let's go to him and ask the Father to teach us this morning. Our Father, we come before you. We recognize that you are the Lord and you are um, completely separate from us in the fact that you're holy and yet you're omnipresent. So we acknowledge that your presence is here among your people. And as we open your word, we subject ourselves to you, that your spirit would work and move in us in such a way that we'd leave changed as a result of an encounter with you. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to see your son, Jesus Christ, better as a result of us being in your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. If you have a copy of the scriptures, turn to Mark chapter 2, and it's okay to bring your Bibles every week because we open them every week. So go ahead, just go ahead and bring them, okay? And we're going to start in chapter th uh, 2, in verses 13 through 17. And, and just a little challenge for you, a lot of times when people read God's word for themselves, when they're going through it, they're always looking to find themselves in the text. I would challenge you, especially as you read through the Gospels, look for Christ first. 
So I think today, really, there's not a lot of to-doing. There's no commands in our text. And so I think really what we see today is the to-doing that results is of us studying God's word is to glorify and worship the name of Jesus. And that's what we desire to do, is to connect people to Jesus for life change. And I think that there's a lot of wow things in this text as we get to investigate who Jesus is, who he pursues, invites, and receives, and how people respond. Look at verse 13 with me. Once again, Jesus went outside beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Elpheus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now this is incredible, another day in the life of Jesus Christ, and we know that he has some followers, and we know that he's teaching, and his message actually was a message of repentance. It wasn't a message of everyone be nice to each other, and everyone will get what they want if they just believe in him. It was actually a message of repentance. So he's speaking, and as he's preaching and doing his ministry, he's also inviting people to come and follow him, and we see that in our text today with this guy named Levi, the son of Alphaeus who most scholars believe is the one that is known as Matthew, the disciple of Jesus. We see other accounts of Matthew, the tax collector, and people have put this together. And we see that his job is to be the tax man. Now, this past week, I did some investigating. I was looking at, like, worst jobs to have in America. Maybe you've seen these before, and maybe you have one. I've been really worried about that for you in my codependency. The list I saw had lots of different titles, but actually some emerged on every list I saw. One of them... And the top five was um, news reporter, just the pressure to go find the news and to make it good. (laughs) That you have to make it good is interesting, I think. Another one was um, corrections officer, I'd imagine so. That'd be a tough one. I know we've had some here, I believe. One of the top two that I saw on several lists, and I don't know if there's anybody here that is this, is um, lumberjack? No? Some of us look like it, but we don't do that, right? Okay. Okay. Well, I would guess that if we were to take this survey back in this day, in this context, I would have to think tax collector uh, is up on the list. See, tax collectors were actually despised in Palestine. To get an understanding of where Levi is coming from, it's important to know the history about his work in context. See, tax collectors were viewed as traitors. They, these folks were Jews who had bought tax franchises from the Roman government, and any amount they collected over what Rome required, they could keep. So there's pressure not only to get what Rome required, but also to be able to pay back your debt and then also to be able to provide for your family. So you'd imagine that people, tax collectors, were asking for more than what was perceived as they needed. So it was widely understood that if any were wealthy, that they were so at the expense of their own people. Are you getting an idea? The more corrupt the tax collector, the more alienated he became from his own people. So this job would require... Someone to be able to endure ridicule and lack of respect. Anybody have a job like that? The people-pleasing tax collector would have to be an oxymoron. People-pleaser and tax collector do not go together because that person would be out of the job. Uh, Tax collectors were actually disqualified for running for the office of judge. In fact, they were not even allowed to be used as witnesses in a court of law. And in the eyes of the community, a tax collector, uh, the disgrace that was put upon them was actually extended to their family. So, the only friends this kind of person would have would be who? People that are just like them. 
And that's Levi. And that's what we see. And that's what we know about tax collecting. And then Jesus is calling followers to himself. And yet he invites Levi, son of Elvius, this tax collector, to follow him. And I wonder, when I think about the text and preparing for today, I was just wondering, do you think Levi um, hated himself? Do you think he hated his station in life and hated his job? Maybe some of you relate to that. Hated maybe what he's become? Hated what he's done? Do you think there's like any shame or regret with this work? The seemingly unethical becoming daily? No eye contact with friends, of course. Friends of old. You lost them. Do you think that he was tired of like uh, the daily haggling and arguing and fighting? It's 10 today. Well, last week you said it was nine. It's, it's 10 today. I know you could get by with two. Fine, whatever, two. Every day. After day, after day. Tired of being hated and, and separated. And, and that's one of the toughest things about the job of a tax collector is that actually they couldn't go to synagogue. They were considered unclean, so they couldn't even be with who they would desire to fellowship with related to their faith. Anybody relate? Was he too far into it, I wonder? As he thought to himself that he couldn't see any way out of what he started? The debt is so high. I've got to keep going. This is my life now. This is, this is it. This is the best it's ever going to be now and forever. Have you ever thought that? Maybe you're stuck like a, in sin and selfishness and, and can't find a way out. Or over the years, you've actually like built your own jail cell. You're like in bondage to what you've created around you, your tax collector booth, so to speak. Secret sins, people-pleasing, strongholds in life, workaholism. Every day you face it with little or no hope of change. Does anybody relate? It'd be too embarrassing to say yes out loud, wouldn't it? I wonder if that's Levi. But for Levi, Jesus sees him and comes to him and invites him unto himself. And so Levi, who may have been at one time quite hopeless because this is his work, has now just met hope personified in Jesus Christ. Jesus invites Levi to follow him. What do you think Levi felt in receiving Christ's invitation? Do you think his like, mouth hit the floor? <gasps> what, do you think, what do you think if you were Levi? What would be going on in your mind? Uh, me? Are you sure? You meant the other Levi, right? What about, what about my tax booth? Um, this is all I've known. What, where are you going exactly that I'm following you? And um, how long do you think we'll be? See, abandoning his booth would no doubt cost him his job. And so what did Levi do? The text tells us he chose to leave it all and follow Jesus. Wow. Why would Jesus invite someone like Levi to follow him? And why would Levi be so ready so as to leave it all to follow Jesus? Something is going on, right? See, some scholars believe that this signifies, this line about Levi leaving it signifies his uh, conversion like he was already convicted or convinced of his sin and, his, and recognized his need of forgiveness. I don't know. But I know that he left it all to follow Jesus. This is a real place. These are real people. 
And the invitation of Jesus actually stands today to whoever would like to follow. Did you know that? The, the invitation comes and extends through disciples who made disciples who made disciples who then are, are now inviting you today to follow Jesus. See, discipleship is actually supposed to exist today. <laughs> it wasn't just Jesus with the twelve. You might ask, well, then how can I follow Jesus? I don't hear his voice. I can't see. I can't, I can't sense him. Well, we follow Jesus by faith, which is actually quite an unsatisfactory answer for many. We follow by abiding in his love, by personal relationship, actually like through prayer and the obeying of his commands and his commission, motivated by the great commandment of love. Christ loves without limits and is inviting, pursuing, inviting, and receiving so I would say this, if you're not sure if you're invited, let me just clarify for you and make you sure you are. And I know that because I'm inviting you to Christ. Well, how do I do that? I would say this, to acknowledge that you've been invited, to repent of your sin, trust in Christ's work on your behalf on the cross and his resurrection. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, follow him. And my bet is that if you do, your life's going to change. You might get sick though still. You will die, but you're going to have grace and love and joy, mercy. So let me ask this. What's been in the way for you? What is uh, your tax collection booth? You see, for me, like most of my troubles, I came to know Christ when I was seven, but most of my troubles have come since the age of seven. <laughs> So I still revisit the question for myself, what is it that I hold on to that hinders me from being free to follow Christ? What is it for you? What have you allowed to stand in your way of following Jesus, like giving him all of your heart because he gave you all his? You might ask, well, well when is someone really ready to follow Jesus? And let me help with that by giving somewhat of a definition that we actually learn about in Celebrate Recovery at Southbridge. Here's a definition, loved ones, of readiness, okay? If you're someone that writes stuff down, you could write this down, class. Readiness is when your current pain is greater than your fear of change. Why did Levi follow Jesus at the request? Certainly at this point now, he's probably heard of Christ. He's heard of the miracles that he's done, the power by which he preaches and the authority with that. He'd never seen that before, but he knows who he is. He is not involved or invited with anything to do with the faith. And all of a sudden, now this man, who some call a rabbi, who seems very unique, but some people despise him, but something's happening, invites you to follow him. Why was Levi ready? The answer must be then, his current pain was greater than his fear of abandoning the booth and Rome pursuing him for what he owes them. He'd rather have that against him and have Christ than not have Christ at all and just be working for Rome so you may wonder why isn't my friend ready or why isn't my dad ready or why isn't, this, why isn't my daughter ready the answer is because they're not not satisfactory is it they don't recognize their need the current pain is not greater than the future well that's just using Jesus as a crutch then oh man he loves it <laughs> because he knows that you're incapable don't use that line to justify why you won't follow, if I may be so bold. Hmm. What's it for you? 
So what does Levi do then upon his invitation? Let's look at the text, shall we, loved ones? Look at verse 15. So Levi follows him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Many disciples then Jesus has now. So like any excited follower of Jesus, Levi invites all of his friends to meet Jesus. It's actually a proof text that Christ goes to parties. Okay? Celebrating the best day in his life. And, and who does Levi invite? Everyone who he's associated with. His people. Think about your own life. It would be true. What's the most exciting celebration you've ever been a part of? That you invited everyone that you know to come at least be part of the celebration. Maybe you won't see them every day for a while, but you invited them to that. Maybe it was your wedding. Some party or graduation, some big achievement, someone got a new job or some kind of big sending away. Do you remember it? For my wife and I, our wedding, we invited everyone that we loved and cherished and hoped everyone could come. It'd be great to have that day every weekend to see and be with those that you love so much. And what are you doing in inviting them? You're inviting them to party with you, to celebrate with you because something of significance has happened or is happening and it's the same for Levi. Come meet the one who's changing my life. What about your tax booth? I don't know. Huh? I was wondering this week, in light of actually Levi's testimony already, who am I inviting to know Christ as I know him? Who are you inviting, who are you inviting to know Christ as you know Christ, your Savior? This Jesus who you would say that you worship with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Who are you inviting? Who ought you invite that you've not been? You might ask, well, why am I not passionate about inviting people to Christ? I can tell you why. Because you've forgotten what Christ has done for you. In Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, we see identity of those that are in Christ with no commands except for one. It's in chapter 2, I think verse 11, that says, once you're without hope and without God, remember this. See, that's what drives us unto worship and to glorify. Why is Levi so pumped to invite people that he knows that are irreligious or non-religious or been abandoned by religion? Because he wants them to celebrate with him about the, with the one who's changed him. Isn't that cool? Who are you supposed to be inviting? Maybe today it's about you talking honestly with Jesus and saying, I'm sorry that I've, I've lost. I've lost view of what you've done for me and you're inviting me and receiving me, accepting me. So Levi is having this party and who is at the party? Well, you could imagine who would be tax collectors' friends, uh, other tax collectors and notorious sinners, some translations say. And Jesus then pursues, invites, and then apparently parties with sinners. And the term sinners here is a term that's used to describe people uh, who had no respect for Mosaic law or rabbinic tradition and were then therefore considered um, like the most vile and worthless of people. Maybe the answer to the question when I gave earlier, who would you never invite to hang out with you every day? And yet Jesus does. In Mark's gospel, we've seen clearly up to this point in our, in our studies together, and Pastor Scott's been leading us through them, that Jesus continually engages folks who are labeled by their sinful circumstances. In fact, we see earlier that Jesus drives out a person that's possessed by a demon, and the belief at that time would have been he's possessed because he was open to possession, which means he's, this guy's sinful. He cleanses a leper who would have been a social outcast, and the belief at that time would have been he's a leper because he's sinful and being judged and punished by God. Then Jesus forgives and heals the paralytic, which we saw recently, and the belief at that time would have been the man was paralytic because he's 
sinful, all labels, demon-possessed, paralyzed or paralytic, leper, these are labels. And now we have a tax collector, the despised traitor, who is then invited and received. Yes, Jesus definitely hangs out with people that have a label. If the Gospel of Mark was continuing to be written today, how do you think you would be labeled? Let's think about that, shall we? What would be presented about you for all time, about who you were, who you are? See, there's things that are labels about me that would be true. Jesus identifies murder as anyone who hates somebody else. I'm a murderer. I'm a murderer. Christ identifies adultery as anybody that looks lustfully at somebody else. I'm an adulterer. Thief, liar, self-righteous, arrogant, doubtful. What would yours be? Just think about it for a moment. Paul says to a young pastor, as he writes in what is now called 1 Timothy, and we've preached on it here before at Southbridge, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. The label is sinner, sinner. Yet for those following Jesus Christ, by faith through grace, we're actually giving new labels. It's identity. It's actually, you can read all this in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. So that those who were once only labeled as a sinner can actually say stuff like this about themselves. Their label would be um, uh, chosen, blessed, loved, adopted, forgiven, redeemed, sealed, alive, raised, saved, disciple. That's much better, isn't it? See, that's what Jesus' limitless love affords us, is a new identity. If I ask a man, tell me about yourself, they almost always lead with what they do, except for if they don't have a job, then they don't know who they are. And usually women lead with who they're with, unless they're not with someone they want to be with, and they don't know who they are. Most men say, I am a whatever it is. Most women lead with, I'm divorced, widow, single, engaged. They lead with who they're with. But when we're in Christ, when we're now a child of God, we don't lead with our label of sinner, adulterer, murderer. We lead with this if you're in Christ. You lead with love, chosen, blessed, redeemed, sealed, adopted, forgiven. Amazing, right? Should drive us to worship. That's what Jesus' limitless love does. It changes lives. And Levi is experiencing it. Now watch what happens at the party. Look at verse 16. We should probably cue the music here for the party. Find verse 16, Jason. Here it is. We do like dance parties at our house all the time. The kids love it. But they just go on too, they go on forever. I think I'm getting too old. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, Pharisees were a legalistic sect of Jews, and we've learned about them before at Southbridge. They're not these maniacal guys with curlicue mustaches that are playing damsels in distresses on trains. They're not laying them down there, okay? It's not like that. People wanted to be them. They didn't have the time, money, or discipline. These people know the word of God. They know the law. People wanted to be as them. 
And so their question makes sense because what they've come to recognize is that no righteous man would do what this person who is believed to be righteous, a rabbi, is doing. So they're angry, confused. These folks are they're known for their strict devotion to the ceremonial law. And one of the rules held tightly by these folks was the belief that Jews were not meant or allowed to eat with Gentiles or sinners, people like this, people like Levi, people like you, me, them. So they're upset because if someone was truly righteous, they wouldn't be with such people. And they believe that the true Messiah would be eating with people like them. And truthfully, brothers and sisters, I had to ask myself this week, I've been wondering, and I don't know if I have the answer, would Jesus have a meal with me? That answer might be easier. The real question is, would I have wanted to have a meal with Jesus based on what my view is of what Jesus should be? Would I even recognize him? It's not just the eating that's the problem. See, it's, it's deeper than that. And eating a meal with someone in this cultural context is, is a way of receiving, a, a form of accepting. Look at another passage with me that has the same idea. It's in the king's language, Luke chapter 15, verse 2. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Now what does receiveth mean? It, it's meaning this idea of, of acceptance. Does it mean then that Jesus is cool with whatever they do? Like he's okay with them violating God's command and commission? No, of course not. But he's hanging out with them so that they might know him. He's not hanging out with them so that they uh, would just like him a little bit or that he can just party with them or join their philosophy of life. He's trying to save them from their philosophy of life by inviting them to him. And so he goes to where they are. And the scriptures tell us, as this one does, that many were around him. Many of these kinds of people wanted to be with Jesus. Why? So the religious said to the disciples, and that word said there actually is the, the literal meaning is like um, repeated muttering, which sounds like automatopoeia to me. Mutter, 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 mutter. They're repeating these issues and problems that they have. They cannot reconcile what Christ is doing with God's word. And so they say to these disciples of Jesus, why would Jesus be with these awful people? So although uninvited to the party and not interested in attending, the Pharisees hung on the outside of the party, wrongfully criticizing Jesus and his people. (laughs) And that's what wrongful criticism is like, isn't it? It's like shot calling on people from a distance. It's usually uninformed, personal attacks without any personal investment. Our best example of that in our life is Facebook. Shot calling on people when you don't know their hearts, uninformed, you're not invested in that person, and you're making personal attack. And Jesus faced this over and over and over again, and they didn't even have Facebook. He still faces it when we do. And Jesus knows what this is like. He knows what it's like. And he actually, he knows what it's like to be labeled and criticized. We have a scripture about this, him speaking about it himself. Can we show this? I think it's from the book of Luke. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and then you say, he is a glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What's true about that? There are actually some truths about it. Jesus did eat food and drink. He actually was a friend to tax collectors and sinners. But what isn't true? We know it's not true that he was a glutton and drunkard because those are things that get in the way of being filled with the Spirit. That's called sin. 
We know that Christ did not sin because he would not be a substitution for us. But Christ allows himself to be labeled wrong because he's just on mission, inviting, pursuing, inviting, receiving. See, the Pharisees tended to focus on the outward ritual and ceremonial aspects of God's law to the neglect of the inward, eternal, and moral precepts. So in doing so, they became harsh, judgmental, and self-righteously um, scornful of others. Who is this Jesus, though? Actually, like the opposite. Merciful, compassionate, loving, truthful, self-sacrificing. And we know that God is merciful as expressed through Jesus. And so Jesus pursued. He actually came here. He was born. He lived without sin, paid the penalty of our sins, rose again, so that whosoever would believe in him would be saved. And you're invited. You're invited. And you will be received. You will not be rejected. Isn't that incredible? That's what Levi is living in. And yet the religious are shot calling and saying, you're not really in. And this man that you're following is not really in. See, the awful assumption about Jesus by those who are supposedly closest with God is that the reason he eats with sinners, the reason why he welcomes them and receives them is because he is just like them. Is that true, loved ones? So wrong. But Jesus is willing to have a bad reputation for the sake of pursuing, inviting, and receiving those who need him. So when Jesus is with the sinners, in quotes here, he actually never weakens the truth. Let's be clear about that. He doesn't say wrong things are okay so that he can be accepted. He never compromises himself to fit in. But it was his love, power, compassion, and powerful truth-telling that drew those who recognized that they were ungodly and in need of him. They wanted to be around him. They wanted to be near him. Over and over again, we see this in the scriptures. If you read the Gospels for yourself, we see how people respond to the love and grace of Jesus, owning their own stuff and then humbly submitting to Christ and following him. And the ironic thing about this, dear ones, is that everyone who is around Christ, including those that were criticizing him, need him, need what he's got. And all that's found in the offering of the invitation to follow him. Everyone needs it, including those who, real, who don't realize it. There's an example, an everyday example of this in my life, about someone needing something, they don't realize it, and they fight it. And that's the religious people here, the people that are unwilling to be in the party with Jesus. I have five children. I have three sons and two daughters. One of our children, our youngest, requires a nap still every once in a while, but he doesn't think so. In fact, when I suggest that it's time for a nap, his face goes down like this, and the salty discharge comes from his eyes, and he's not sure what that is yet, because he doesn't do that very much, except for when told no or what to do. He usually, um, his life consists of waiting up, waking up in the sixes and playing swords and ninjas until about eight o'clock, spinning and twirling, fighting hard, working hard all the time, and lots of snacks. Snack, can I have a snack? Can I have a snack? No, is it time, dinner time? No, is it time to snack? Mommy said no. Do you say yes? No, it's a no. Did mommy say no? Oh, I want a snack. Fine, have a snack. Can I have a snack now? While eating dinner, is snack time after? No, maybe a snack though. And every once in a while, we pitch the idea, and it's usually me, hey, buddy, you got to have a nap today. He is not interested. 
And so sometimes I take him in my arms and I'll hold him, oh, and he just fights. And this kid is straight up muscle. And I kind of like it because we're like, we're both just straining. It's kind of like wrestling. And I'm just like tickling him on his back and stuff and, and just talking quietly. And then he's fighting, 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 and then just fades. And I win. <laughs> is it possible that children don't know what's best for them? How much more so for adults? I mean, I think I give this example every other time I preach, something like this. We don't know what's best for us. I have a picture of what it's like when we finally win. He's like, uh, like crushing my lungs when I'm holding on to him too. And we'll keep doing this. And he keeps not being interested. See, Christ's invitation really, I think, goes out to the world. And it goes out through his disciples that exist today through his word. Everyone's invited, but not everyone's inclined because most people want to depend upon themselves and their own self-will and their delusion of control, denying their need. It's a form of self-righteousness. They don't realize, not everyone realizes what's best for them until we come to the understanding of our need for Christ. So how does Jesus respond to this muttering to the disciples? Look at verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, on hearing the muttering, and now saying to the mutterers, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is what we call in the 80s a burn. Gotcha, nailed you. This is actually some tough teaching by Jesus. And a lot of people don't ever think of Jesus teaching and saying tough things, but it's actually most all tough. He's using some tough words for people who think they've got it all figured out. The phrase, the righteous, within that he's not come to call the righteous, is used ironically to refer to those who saw themselves as such. They saw no need of repentance and no need of belief and no need of this Jesus. But Jesus knows that everyone's sinful. So he's not actually calling anyone righteous. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So Jesus then calls people, he says, I've come here not to call the people that think they're righteous, but I've actually called the people that are sick. And what does sick mean? Let's define that. What does it mean to be sick? It's sick with sin and death. Ephesians chapter 2 begins with the fact that we were dead in our transgressions. We're basically dead people walking. And the wages of our sin is paid, the money that's paid for our sin is our death. Or we can allow Christ to pay for that. So we don't have to die eternally away from him, but then be with him. So sinners are those that are sick with sin and death. That's what our sin and sin nature bring to the table. When Jesus invites us to follow him, what do we bring to him? He brings himself and all that is in his storehouse of his character, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And what do we bring? Here's my sin. That's what we bring. And so those sinners who would follow him would be those who humbly acknowledge their need and receive his gracious forgiveness. Your sin is not greater than his forgiveness. That would be self-righteousness to think that. So Jesus is actually saying here to these religious elite people, I'm here to invite and receive sinners who recognize their need of mercy. And the reason why we say that is because in an alternate ending of this, in the book of Matthew, Jesus actually begins a response with this. Go and find out what this means, which is actually also a slam because they know everything. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, which is a prophecy from the book of Hosea. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. 
Then he continues on with, I've not come to call the righteous but the sick. So Jesus is saying to them, I'm here to invite and receive sinners who recognize their need of mercy, and that's not you, right? Because you're so good. So what's your problem here with the party? It's rough, isn't it? Anyone here a follower of Jesus? What was the basis by which you were pursued, invited, and accepted? Was it because you're so becoming? And many of you are. Was it because you're so capable and skilled and smart? Is it because you're so educated? At one point, I thought it was like 16% of the population of Raleigh has doctorates. Was that why Jesus invites you? You know the answer, right? He didn't call us because of our righteousness or our giftings, our capability. The one thing that makes us all eligible to follow Jesus is that we are sinners who need grace. And then we're invited to have a new identity so that I don't identify now as saying simply I am a sinner, but I am a saint who sins. Everyone's invited. Sinners are the kind of people Jesus calls as Levi found out himself. So I encourage you to do the same. Follow Jesus. Today is the day. If you've never given your life to Christ, if you've not put your faith and confidence and trust in him, today is the day. There's no need to delay. You don't have to be arrogant or self-righteous to hold out anymore. You don't have to see if he comes through for you. Today's the day. Give your life to him. He will change your life. But you may come into trouble because Christ has promised that. You're invited. You're invited. You're invited. And when you receive the invitation and step by faith to simply follow him as much as you know how, in the infancy of your faith, he accepts you. He knows that dumb thing you did 10 years ago. He, he took care of that. He accepts you. So what's holding you back? For the believer here today that you've just been struggling, there's, you compartmentalize your life as if Jesus sees compartments and he doesn't. It's all your life. But you see compartments, you know, Jesus can have my work, but he can't have my social life. Jesus can have my marriage, but he, but he can't have my money. I don't What's holding you back? Why wouldn't we be ready to give him everything when he gave us everything in himself? Dear ones, you're invited. Christ Jesus demonstrates his limitless love through his pursuit, invitation, and receiving. And you will be received and he'll change your life. Christ answers to the first three questions. If you could invite anybody to follow you for a while, who would it be? His answer is you. Um, if you could, who would you least like to invite? I don't think his answer is anyone. And would he be invited? I don't know. But he is willing to entrust what is most precious to you, of him to you. And that is his work, his mission. And you're invited, you're invited. Let's pray. Lord God, for this day, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of gathering. We celebrate your son, Jesus Christ, together. We worship him, and we just see over and over again how he's pursued people. And it's, there's a testimony here in this church, God. Nine years old this March, and you've been bringing people and inviting people unto yourself, and they've been saying yes. We praise you for that. Only you can turn a heart. And God, I pray for everyone that's here today, Lord, 
that you would allow us to become so enamored with your son Jesus that we'll do whatever it takes to follow. We'll throw off anything that's entangling us from following you and that we would invite other people excitedly to know you just as your servant Levi, Matthew, did. Help us to do the same. Give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness like never before and may doing your will be like food to us. And we just worship you, Jesus. Thank you so much for your pursuit. We worship you and we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.